Let's turn again to the chapter we read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. I'm reading at verse 28. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Now the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, is just before this, chapters 5 to 7, is probably the greatest sermon that is ever preached. A lot of people quote some of the sayings that came from that particular sermon. Uh, and it tells us when he had, Jesus had finished preaching in chapter 7 at, uh, at the very end there. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. Now, that although there were huge crowds present while Jesus preached that sermon, it was to his people, to his disciples, to his followers that he was really preaching. Uh, it wasn't an evangelistic sermon as such, although parts of it are evangelistic. There were many times in Jesus' life, in his ministry, when he was very evangelistic in his appeals to people. And he called on people, and indeed he wept over people who were refusing him. It hurt him into the very depth of his heart. Jesus had a great heart for those who were lost. And it uh, uh, tells us in the chapter we read, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus could see the grief and understand the pain that was in so many people's hearts. And so his heart was constantly going out to people and there was always an appeal. Come to me, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest and so on. The Sermon on the Mount <clears throat> though was, was different in that this was a particular sermon that was addressed to his people. And there, were, there are two main sections within the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 16 is speaking to us about the character of the Christian. That's where we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, so on. This is speaking about the character of the Christian. And then the rest of the sermon speaks to us about the conduct of the Christian. For instance, how the Christian uh, conducts himself with regard to the law, with regard to reputation, with regard to uh, treasure, with regard to our priorities in life. And that's always the way it is. <clears throat> Conduct flows out of character. That is why the Lord is seeking, first and foremost, to have our characters changed so that we become more and more Christ-like. And the more Christ-like we become, the more our conduct will begin to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. If we begin without Jesus... And if we begin without seeking that our characters will be changed, then even if we're trying to improve our conduct, we won't be able to do it properly. So that is why it always begins with character, the change of heart, 
and a change of heart that begins more and more to resemble Jesus. And from that, the conduct comes out. So, after the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching with all the authority uh, of the kingdom, all the authority of God, his teaching of the kingdom, then the next chapters are really showing the power of the kingdom. Because Jesus is healing, uh, he's demonstrating his power over illness, he's demonstrating his power over the natural world where he calms the storm, he demonstrates his power over the spiritual world where he's able to cast out demons, and he's showing that he is Lord over all. And in chapters 8 and 9, we find uh, Jesus there, that he, he's, we see him on this healing ministry. Uh, by, he, he heals a leper, the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, a paralyzed man who was brought on a mat. He raised a dead girl. He healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, he enabled those who had been made mute because of demon possession to be able to talk again. And then he opened the eyes of these two blind men who were there. So after the, that great sermon, and where people were marveling, the thousands who were there marveling at his teaching, he is then beginning to show that the, the power of the kingdom as well. Now as Jesus walked by, these two blind men followed him, and they were crying aloud, <coughs> Have mercy on us, son of David. And this word, the crying aloud, indicates that it was constant crying. And these men were blind physically, but they were able to see with an, well, they were able to see spiritually in a way that many others couldn't see, because they were, as they cried on Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, this was they were seeing Jesus as a Messiah. And although they were blind, they were seeing a lot more than many people who had their normal natural sight. The scribes and most of the Pharisees and the, most of the religious leaders, they couldn't see that Jesus was the Messiah or they chose not to see that he was the Messiah. Well, it's good to remember that sometimes people just can't see but also there are people who choose not to see. They just block their mind to it. And here's one of the worst things that a person can do is to shut your mind <clears throat> to the truth. To say, now, I'm just, I'm just not going down this road. And you know, there's a lot of people who do that. In fact, in fact, by and large, that is what people really have to do. Because to say, as many people say, there is no God, you're having to block your mind to the truth. You're having to suppress the truth, to push it down in order to come to that uh, conviction within your own heart. You're having to deal with the truth and push it aside, remove it out altogether, press it down, and unfortunately, <clears throat> so many of the religious leaders that day, they wouldn't face up to the truth. They should have known. They studied the scripture. And the scriptures were constantly being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But they closed their mind to the truth. They were prejudiced. They were bigoted. And these are... A lot of people talk about bigotry and how wrong it is. Well, bigotry, it is wrong. Because, you know, when if we're bigoted, if we're like that. We close our minds very often. We can only see, we've got kind of tunnel vision. The only thing we should really have tunnel vision for is God's Word. 
because this is real truth. So here are these blind men, but they were able to see that this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. He is the Lord. And so they take the opportunity and they cry to him constantly. Can I ask you, are you doing that today? If, you're out, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, remember, Jesus is here today. He has promised to be here. For as few as two or three gather together in his name, he's promised to be in the midst. Now that's an, an amazing promise. So Jesus is here today. The presence of Christ through the ministry of his Spirit, he, has, he says, I come where my people gather together. And this is why it is so important when we're in church that we call upon Jesus. It's an opportunity for salvation. I know we can call on Jesus anywhere. But it's a special time when he's near. He's here. He's in the house. These two blind men were going to follow Jesus into the house. It wasn't the church, but into a house. Well, you're in the house of God just now. And so this is the opportunity for you to call upon Jesus. Because remember, if you don't today see your need of a Savior, you're spiritually blind. And spiritual blindness leads to spiritual... Well, spiritual blindness equals spiritual death. And spiritual death equals eternal death, unless your eyes are opened. So Jesus came to open people's eyes, enable people to see, to see him as a Savior, to see him as Lord. Now, you'll notice here that as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. It doesn't say, tell us that he stopped to deal with them. He just carried on, and he went on into the house. And often we find that, that there are times... Jesus answers right away. But other times he doesn't. And sometimes Jesus doesn't in order to test the reality, the genuineness of the cry. Because sometimes people will cry but they don't really mean it. An example of that is sometimes, and I'm sure as you look back over your life, you remember times when you were shaken to the core where God's providence shook you, your world, as it were, collapsed, your own personal world. And you said to yourself, oh, I've got, I've got to become a Christian. And you begin to call to the Lord, to cry to the Lord. But as the fear that initially was there begins to subside, and as time goes on, sometimes the cry stops, and you don't search for him anymore. Because the Lord knows when it is real, when it is genuine, and, or when it's just superficial, when it's not real. And so sometimes the Lord tests, and sometimes the Lord lets people call for quite a while. Because you might be somebody in here today like that, and you're saying to yourself, you know this, I've been crying to the Lord for so long. I've been calling upon the Lord to save me, and he doesn't seem to be hearing well, if you are really crying genuinely, sincerely, he will hear you. He is hearing you. And he will answer. But sometimes, as we say, he tests the genuineness of our call. Anyway, these two blind men, they came into the house. And he, we see here that he begins to show them mercy. 
And all the old could remember that the Lord is a Lord who delights in mercy. It's his great delight. And so the two men came there and Jesus asked them a very simple question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? A very, very important question, but a vital one. You've been crying to me, Jesus is saying to them. You've been calling out to me. But I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this, that I'm able to give you your sight back? And very simply they said, yes, Lord. You know, some of the greatest dialogues between a person and Jesus are so, so brief. That's all they said. Have mercy on us, son of David. And then, yes, Lord. That's all that's recorded for us that they said. Not much. And we don't need a lot. We don't need many words. We don't need to have long, long prayers. Sometimes just two or three words is enough. That's what we have here. And so Jesus asked them, Do you believe? And so they were, what Jesus is really saying to them, Do you know who I am? Do you believe that I, as the Messiah, as the Lord, do you believe I am able to open your eyes? And that's important. Because I believe a lot of people in here, if you're not, if you're not a Christian, I would imagine that most of you, if not all of you, believe that the Lord is able to save. But there's a big difference between believing that the Lord is able to save and that the Lord is able to save you personally. Because as you look around and you say, well, I know the Lord has saved him and he saved her. I know the Lord. The Lord is saving people. I believe that. I know that. I know it to be true. But the Lord becomes very personal and he says, but I'm asking you, do you believe that I am able to save you? That's the question. And are you able then to say in return, Yes, Lord? I hope so. I hope today you're saying, Yes, Lord, I do believe you're able to save me. Because if you're saying that, then you're seeing Jesus as the Savior who is there for you, that he is able to save you personally, not just in a, in a way that's abstract or in a way where you know that he's doing saving. This is direct business with Jesus. You want him to come right into your life and to save you. And Jesus is asking you this question today. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you? It's an important question. Because are you seeing Jesus there as a great Savior? You see, our, our faith is not faith and faith it's not these blind men weren't congratulating themselves and saying well look at all the faith we have we, we're trusting in our faith our trust our everything has to be focused upon Jesus Christ and so often we can get distracted a lot of people they look to the Bible and don't get me wrong we need to have the Bible they look to the church they look to people it's always looking to Christ it's got to be looking to Jesus looking to Jesus he is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Don't look anywhere else. And so they said, yes, Lord. And so he says, according to your faith, be it done to you. First he touched their eyes, and then he opened their eyes. Now, he is able. But I want us just to, to think about it, just for a few moments, that 
when Jesus says, do you believe that I am able to do this? We find in the Bible that there are so many things that the Lord is able to do. Amazing things. Of course, we know that the Lord can do everything. But for instance, in Ephesians, it tells us this. That he is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. Now, isn't that incredible? Able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. Now, you stop for a moment. Everything that you've ever asked the Lord, if he so chooses, he could do for you. Now, we've got to remember one or two things here. The Lord is never going to give us everything that we ask for. Because some of the things that we ask for might be wrong. They might go against the nature and character of God. God has always got to be true to himself. And he'll never give us something that it goes against his nature, goes against his character. But if we ask for things that are in accordance with his will, he promises to hear and to, to answer our prayer. So it tells us here, while that is amazing, that he will do uh, everything we ask. But it goes beyond that, or even think. Now there are, there are many things that we've thought and we would say to ourselves, wouldn't it be great if God could do that for me? But we've never actually asked it. Well, the Bible tells us that he is able to do what we ask or even think. Isn't that amazing? But it even goes above that. He's able to do abundantly above what we ask or think. So that you put together all the things you ask the Lord and all the things that you think that the Lord is able to do and the, the, it goes beyond that that he's able abundantly above that to do and it's able to do all that we ask or think not just some of it but all but you know it even goes beyond that it goes and says exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think it's like the apostle when he was writing it's like he's running out of superlatives it's like he's gone so far and he says, you know, I can't really get my head around this. But the Lord is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Stop there for a moment and think about it. If you're today living a defeated Christian life, if you feel that the spark is gone, and you're saying to yourself, you know, I feel like I've got heavy boots on and I'm trudging through deep sand or through out on the moor and it's wet. That's the way I feel my Christian walk to be. You have to stop and ask yourself a question. <clears throat> what is your relationship with the Lord really like? Here is the Lord of heaven and earth whose great delight is to fill his people with himself. And he's saying to you, <clears throat> I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. I can fill your life. I have all the resources at my disposal. And I am the most liberal giver. Why are you just trudging along? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Maybe it is we're not giving the time to the Lord. <clears throat> 
Maybe your time of being alone with the Lord is getting less and less. You know, there are a lot of some people say to me, you know, if I didn't have my wee time with the Lord in the morning, I don't know how I would cope in the day. We need it. It's never a wasted hour. We all know of Martin Luther. He, was a, he had the whole world on his shoulders and a, to a certain extent when the whole reformation was taking place. And yet he, <clears throat> he was saying, if I don't give the first two hours to the Lord, I've had it. He had to spend two hours every day for a man who in many ways changed the world. But that was the heartbeat. That was the secret of it. It's never... Be, remember this. Time alone with the Lord is never wasted. In this world that is putting so many demands on us and wants 24-7 activity, do you know what Satan comes to us when we stop and we just sit and we look at our Bible and we pray in the silence? There's a voice saying, come on, you're wasting time. There's so much to do. You've got so much to do. You'll be sure that the moment you start to try and have your own personal devotions, there'll be a voice saying, look at all you've got to do today. You can't stop with this just now. Come on, you've got to get going. We have to resist these voices. Because our well-being in life depends upon this. Again, we can be hampered. In, in, in our spiritual walk with the Lord by unconfessed sin, by lovelessness, by worldliness. There are so many things that come in and invade our lives so that the edge goes and the spark goes. But please take to heart with the Lord. The question Jesus asked these blind men, do you believe that I am able? We can say it with regard to this. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything you ask or think. So you take that to the Lord and ask him to, to fill you. Again we're told that the Lord is able to save to the uttermost. Isn't that wonderful? He's able to save to the uttermost. That can be looked at in two ways. One way of looking at it is he's able to save anybody. Anybody in this world can be saved by the Lord. It doesn't matter what the history is. It doesn't matter what your past is. And there are many trophies of grace throughout this world. The great Apostle Paul is an example of that. Paul rightly called himself the chief of sinners. You know, we, we often say, oh, I'm the chief of sinners, and we mean it. Well, Paul meant it. You know, Paul hated Christ like few in this world have ever hated Christ. He hated the very name of Christ... He wanted every Christian dead, imprisoned, off the scene. His very breath was anti-Christian. You see people today and they're very anti-Christian, they're working against the Christian faith. Well, be quite persuaded of him. They don't be persuaded of this. They didn't have the enmity or the malice of the Apostle Paul. He hated, he, he had murder in his heart, breathing out slaughtering and persecution to the church. And yet the Lord had mercy on him. And Paul never got over it. He couldn't believe how the Lord that he hated had saved him. You look at Manasseh in the Old Testament, that king. He had a great father, Hezekiah, but unfortunately, Manasseh, he came to the throne probably far too young. And he broke down everything his father had done. And he became a byword for the persecution of the believer. It tells us that the streets of Jerusalem were running red with the blood 
of the godly. He even sacrificed his own children. He was involved in the occult. He had absolutely abandoned with a ferocity the God of heaven and hated the God of heaven, hated the God of his father. But then remember he was captured, he was taken in prison and it tells us, it's the most amazing thing, when he was in chains that he turned in repentance to the Lord. So you look at these two characters and you say to yourself, whoa, that's what it means that he's able to save to the utmost. So he's able to save you. You might be saying today, oh, you know, if you knew my history, if you knew my past, if you knew all these things about me, you would say, you can understand why I'm not a Christian. No, the Lord doesn't. It doesn't matter. He is able and he's in the business of seeking and saving those who are lost and washing the slate clean. But saving to the uttermost also means that he keeps on saving right to the very end. In other words, once you're safe, you're always safe. It's like he's continually saving you every day and every night. Every day, every night, right to the end. That's what it says in Romans. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come, or height, or depth, nor any other creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that takes us on to another thing that he's able to do. He's able to keep you from falling. That's what we're also told in the Bible. He's able to keep you from falling. Now that doesn't mean that as a Christian you'll never slip or you'll never stumble. It means there will never be a fatal fall. Because he has you by the hand. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Although he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down because the Lord is holding him with his hand. And that hand is such that it can never be prized open. Not even all the forces of hell gathered against can open the hand of God as a hold of you. He's able to keep you from falling. We're also told that he's able to succor those that are tempted. That, mean, that word succor means he, he's able to come to the aid, the help of those who are tempted. And the Lord says to you, don't try and go through temptation on your own. Do you know why? Because you can't. If you try and go on your own, you'll fail. Ask the Lord for help when you're tempted. Especially ask the Lord for help when you don't want it. And you might say, that's strange. How do you mean that you don't want the Lord's help? <clears throat> because sometimes is it not true that we can enjoy temptation? And you say to yourself, oh, surely not. Be honest with yourself. Is it not true that there are times that as temptation begins you're almost happy for it to be there and you don't want the Lord's help to be delivered? Well, that's when you need it most. That's when you have to say, Lord, I'm not in a good place right now. I'm being tempted and I feel like going down this road and you know this, to be honest, Lord, I don't want help but I need it. I need it now more than I ever needed it. Well, the Lord says, I'm able to come alongside you and help you. And he promises to do that. Time is going with just one, one last thing that it's, he says, another thing that he's able to do. He's able to make all grace abound towards you. Isn't that amazing? We are told that the Lord's grace is sufficient for us. But he tells us about the sufficiency of this grace when? Always. 
that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work where we discover this, the, the sufficiency of his grace. The Bible is full of things that the Lord is able to do. And do you believe that? Is that, the, is that the Lord you're seeing today and you know that he's able to do all these things in your life? Able to do far and beyond anything you ask or think? He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to come alongside you in temptation. He's able to pour out his grace upon you. He's able to make your life something in himself. Do you believe that? Or if you're without Jesus today, do you believe that he can save you even now? Go to him and ask him, Lord, save me. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we pray to bless us. We give thanks that we know that you are a God who are able to do great and wonderful things. Your power is beyond any understanding of ours. Your power is greater than all the forces and powers in this world. And even although the power of darkness can be great, and the power of evil within our own heart is awesome and awful, yet your power is greater still, where you're able to melt the stoniest heart. You're able to break the hardest heart. And you're able to change our lives in the most wonderful way. Lord, we pray that we might be willing for you to change our life. Help us to follow you with all our heart. And bless us, we pray. Bless the cup of tea, coffee in the hall after. And take us all home safely. Bless the Sunday school and the Twinnies and the creche and those who help there. We give thanks for them. Take away then from us our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we conclude our service singing from Psalm 146, Psalm 146. And this is the Scottish Psalter. We sing from verse 7 to the end. And the tune is Moravia. Psalm 146 from verse 7. <clears throat> who righteous judgment executes for those oppressed are that to be. Who to the hungry giveth food, God sets the prisoners free. The Lord doth give the blind their sight. The bowed down doth raise. The Lord doth dearly love all those who walk in upright ways. The stranger's shield, the widow's stay, the orphan's help is he. But yet by him the wicked's way. Turned upside down shall be. The Lord shall reign forevermore. Thy God, O Zion, he reigns to all generations. Praise to the Lord, give ye the tune is Moravia, Psalm 146, 7 to the end. <clears throat> Righteous judgment execute for those who press that be. Thank you.
of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.